White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Red Echo, Grand Slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. You can follow me on Twitter, Ecknerwall23. That is Lawrence, spelled backwards, 2-3 for Robin Ventura. Chris Tannehill is at Chris Tannehill, and our show is at Locked On Sox on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Go there and subscribe. Maybe you can be a recipient of a Locked On Sox prize pack. If you want to leave us a voice message, 312-566-8727, 312-566-8727, or at LockedOnSocks, LockedOnSocks at gmail.com for your emails. Without any further ado, Chris, how's your weekend been? Oh, it's pretty good. I've, i got to tell you, I've got a pork shoulder on the smoker right now. It should be wrapping up as soon as we're done here with this. It looks like it's going to be a two-part episode here, folks, so just settle in here. But throw a log on the fire here and just uh, sit back with us as the Sox have an off day here on monday so we'll we'll get a chance to unpack a lot of things that happened this weekend but first and foremost some things we have to get out of the way uh bill walton's having a pretty good weekend the white Sox win print the banner line up the parade michigan avenue on the studs turtle bridge division street let's go and our guy paul francis sullivan please call him sully you can check him out every day on lockdown mlb for a unique look at the majors both present and past featuring exciting guest interviews and routine check-ins from the Lockdown MLB Network's team of local experts. Subscribe to Lockdown MLB today on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. How's your football Sunday going so far, Herb? This tape before the Bears game, obviously, because we got to clear the deck for this evening's uh, uh, ass-waxing in Los Angeles uh, from the Bears' end, uh, obviously. Uh, how's your football Sunday going here and your weekend in general? It's going well. It's uh, all the people I wanted to win today won. I was very surprised the Vikings did the Vikings things and lost. And as we record, the Packers are getting boat raced by Jamison them at the Saints and the Lions initially Lions and then came back and then Lions at the end. So, yeah, we're good. We're real good. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Bears going to capitalize tonight off all that. Right. All right. Uh Anyway, yeah, it's been a fun weekend here as I'm sporting my good old uh, number 55 Doug Buffon Bears jersey here uh, and uh, looking forward to the game tonight. And uh, But, man, we, we got some Sox baseball to talk about. But first, we have a, a, a huge announcement here. We're going to get a chance to get out here in these streets and press the flesh a little bit with our friends from the 108, huh? How about that, Herb? We'll be out there with the people this week. You can catch us with our guys from the 108, My Sox Summer and Beef Loaf are going to be out there, and they're, they're, I saw some of the uh, flyers here, which we'll get to in a mm-hmm. second. They have Cherise refused to go, yeah, obviously, because you're going to be there, <laughs> obviously. Um, yeah, they're marketing it as two on two. Or, you know, uh, they've got a funny little uh, Photoshop with the flyer. You'll see that soon, but uh, I don't know if it has to be two on two. Why can't it just be four dudes talking socks? We'll get to that in a second here. But this Saturday, September 18th, you can come check us out. We'll be doing a live podcast taping uh, with our friends from the 108. It's going to be at. Ballpark Pub, 514 West Pershing Road. It's just blocks away from the ballpark at Pershing, just east of Halstead. 
Uh, it's a 5 p.m. taping, and if you'd like, you stay with us after, and we'll be watching the White Sox and the Texas Rangers go at it. So that that's going to be a lot of fun, man. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. It's going to be an enjoyable time. I've always had a great time with the 108 guys. I know you have too. And yeah, especially Wally and Pete Hand. The, <laughs> Pete the, Hand like, yes. I consider them, they're the public faces of the 108. It's weird that they're not going to be there with us taping, uh, but maybe we can get him to come out. Yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, people of the South Side, I don't get to actual South Side bars around that ballpark that often, so it's going to be good to see new people get some new fare. I've never been to this place, so yeah, I'm uh, very excited, and the White Sox at that time should be having their magic number and maybe a clinch on that day. So their magic number dwindling and maybe a, quin- a clinch on that Texas day because the Cleveland Indians are Oof. playing ball, friends. Oof. Um, yeah, that magic number is down to nine, and I did not foresee a scenario. We just talked about this on Friday's show like where yeah. we thought they could possibly clinch. Um, but now with it being at nine, it could happen this week realistically. So a lot of things have to happen. But, yeah, ballpark pub down there on the south side and i'm told that we're going to be outside which will be nice and, and safe and fun for everyone to come on out and uh, just enjoy what, what's left here of, of summer and talk about the socks it's exciting times man and i'm looking forward to hanging out with our guys from the 108 always a good time although uh, i'm seeing some discouraging things from Cherizi on twitter saying that uh, there was a little bit of a mutual snub there with shane reardon going out to the ballpark this weekend and he was snubbing the 108 and mm. and then the 108 was snubbing him so maybe we'll you know i, I don't want to catch a stray here but maybe we'll talk about those things that are happening uh, with our score brethren so we may have to put a good public face on some of our people from the radio station but yeah it's not I don't think it's a two on two you know we're not battling for the best socks takes we're just gonna be talking socks and breaking balls and having beverages I know they're sponsored by Goose Island so uh, we'll throw back a couple of those and uh, yeah man I I can't wait it's gonna be a lot of fun five o'clock this Saturday 514 West Pershing Road at Ballpark Pub the 108 Locked on Sox collaboration. So that'll be fun times right there. So um, another thing here to get to before we talk about this weekend's festivities, I was uh, looking in the uh, the emails here before we, we got on, and uh, there was one that was sent earlier this weekend, and it was kind of a, a weekend filled with a lot of uh, emotion, lots of reflection when you talk about the September 11th, 20th anniversary here in, uh, you know, the terrorist attacks on our country. And, you know, I, I didn't think we'd be talking about this today, but this email kind of jumped out at me. Um, this is from a, a listener reaching out all the way from London. This is Terry Pugh checking in. He says, hi, guys. My name's Terry, and I'm English living in London. I just wanted to say your podcast has made following those socks from abroad much easier and enjoyable since I found it. I've been coming to Chicago since 1999 and finally got taken to my first socks game in the glorious summer of 2005 when I met my Bridgeport friends. A couple of days before this game in July against Oakland, London suffered some terrorist bombings, and in solidarity, I guess the Sox decided to put the British flag up at the game. And so, yeah, I was a guaranteed Sox fan from then, and he attached a very nice picture, which you can see the British flag atop uh, just in, in right field next to the scoreboard. Uh, nobody I know seems to remember that, so would love to know the story one day. Ultimately, COVID travel bans mean uh, this year is the first season for 13 years with Sox fans allowed that I won't be able to travel and get to see at least a few games. 
uh, but I'm sure a World Series would make up for it. And he says, uh, Cardboard Terry was in the stands last year, so that's very cool. Uh, with the six-hour time difference and me trying not to get fired through lack of sleep, I can usually only watch weekend or early games. So my morning routine is pretty much wake up, watch MLB.com game recap, then listen to the Locked on Sox podcast to hear all the real accounts of what happened in the ball game. Keep up the good work, and thank you both for a great product. Cheers, Terry Pugh from London, England. How about that? That's awesome to hear. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for checking us out over there in London, England. Um, I don't know Does what that. that I don't know. That what, I'm not sure what that was. I thought we could get through Terry's email uh, without Terry. doing a, a, a British accent, but no. thankfully we did because I don't know what that was. That wasn't quite British, so we I think we're covered, man. Uh, I'm, but, from, I'm from the <laughs> south side of London. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you to Terry for for, uh. for reaching out. So you know, uh, but a very cool picture uh, you know, that that he sent along with the. Email. Maybe we'll post it from our uh, our Twitter account tomorrow when the show drops, so you guys can see it. But yeah, that was very cool. I'm gonna have to reach out to my friends at the Sox and your friends at the Sox to see the the story behind that. But I'm sure it was as simple as that. Um, you know, I, I don't think the White Sox were all of a sudden. Uh, uh, you know, bending the knee for uh, for Great Britain out of nowhere <laughs> in 2005 um, after well after the war had been decided. Uh, but so yeah, I think that that's pretty cool that they did that. But it, it, you know, I wasn't going to talk about 9/11 anniversary stuff, but being that it is the 20th anniversary this past weekend, and I know we're late in the game, and you've probably heard all the the takes and gotten everyone's stories and and you know heard everyone trying to to sum it all up and, and wrap it up tightly for you and and be profound about it uh, I'm not gonna try and do that um, but I, it just occurred to me that um, I everyone has their own 9/11 story and uh, and I really don't like going through a lot of those because a lot of people just you know they where they were nowhere near and they didn't know anyone but they lived through it but it's weird because the the older we get, and you, you realize that there are some younger people out there, probably those who listen to this show, have no real memory of, of those uh, events on September 11th. So I think we should talk about it here a little bit. And I just and I realized also, I don't know your uh, 9-11 story. I didn't know you then. Uh, where were you? What were you doing on that fateful uh, morning in 2001? I was, I just had moved into the city because I got a part-time job at the score earlier the year before or like into September the year before. So at that time I was established. I was a less Grobstein producer. So I worked overnight into like eight o'clock. And so I went to sleep. My roommate at the time was a pre-med student and she came in my room and like freaked out. And it's like, they're just, they're attacking cities. They're attacking cities. I'm like, who? She's like, turn on the TV. And the, just got ghost because she like left and went back to her family's house in the suburbs. And this is not a romantic person. I just met her on like roommate.com or something <laughs> okay, like that. Yeah. Um, and so I turned on the TV and saw all that was happening. I saw the, all the aftermath. Like I didn't see the first or second uh, plane f- hit the buildings. I like, it was like nine thirty ten before I saw everything that happened. I was just like, Whoa. And I was working on the score. Of course we went back into the studio and we did nothing. And by then, the, the studios were on Belmont and Cicero. They're on West Belmont yeah. Avenue. So, like, uh, for any downtown safety issues, that was not really a part of it. Even though everyone was questioning their safety, but that was before we were downtown. Go ahead. Yeah, the city. Yeah, everybody was like, "Oh, they're attacking cities." They were really thinking of like on that day, like, "Okay, stay out of big buildings and things like that." So, yeah, we were at Belmont Little Place. Now I think about it, I was probably on the Hood show at that time. So Jonathan Hood had started his first show solo. So it was like six to ten, maybe. And so all we did that whole week was just 
Hood would start the hour off and say, yeah, it's a very somber day. We're going to play CBS News to get you get you guys up to uh, speed. And so I just pot up CBS News and then Hood would come in every like 20 minutes and just tell us, hey, this is a score. But, you know, that would that happened the whole week. And then I think at the end of the week or the week after, like Dan and Terry, like told the joke and like, OK, here we go. We're back. to sports. Yeah, it was actually it was a caller called in and sang the song Grand Old Flag. I think that's what it was. And that's what like they kind of went off and running from there. And I yeah. think that caller called in on the last Dan and Terry show uh, to do the same thing. But I remember, yeah, I think Terry just straight up left that day, if I remember correct, because I can't I can't do this. And then they just like and Dan did the show by himself. I probably weaved in and out of CBS news coverage like Jay hood did, but yeah, man, it was, uh, you know, something similar. And, you know, for, for myself that day, like, like yourself, I was sleeping initially. My wife was working downtown, um, in one of her first jobs downtown. And, you know, she, she called me after the first plane hit and, and told me what happened. And, you know, I was at that point, I was 18 years old. I was taking a semester off of uh, college. The first semester, I just graduated high school and, you know, I was kind of doing the DJ thing. I was, you know, uh, up late a lot of the night, so I, I was sleeping. And then she told me the, the first plane hit, and I thought, oh, man, that's that's really bad and, and tragic. But I think, every, like everyone you hear, th- thought it was an accident, right? And then a few minutes, you know, I go back to sleep and don't think anything of it. And she calls me again, and, like, no, this is, like, we're, we're under attack right now. Second plane hit, and, you know, just, you know, she immediately got out of the office downtown. And, you know, you start to worry about her safety and is a, is a scary time, man. And um, everyone knows what happened after that and how the country changed. And if you're living and you don't remember those events, it was a much different world before that day in 2001. But I just wanted to mention this because I was there uh, the first game that the Sox played after that. Uh, it was September 18th, 2001. Um, it was the first large gathering in Chicago, and these were popping up all around the world as baseball uh, was back open for business. And you know, the White Sox and the Yankees played. It was especially it was it was symbolic because the Yankees were in town. And if you guys don't know, the White Sox were in September. We're we're in New York on September 11th, supposed to play the Yankees. And there's a lot of great coverage uh, on the White Sox Talk podcast with our man Garfine. Uh, replaying a lot of those old interviews in White Sox players like Paul Konerko and Mark Burley reflecting on on those days. Um, but so as as fate would have it, it was the Yankees' turn to be back in Chicago, and I was there with my dad that night and some friends, and it was a uh, unlike anything I'd ever experienced uh, in, in my life uh, that night. Um, it's obviously very emotional, and you've seen the videos and photos of the Chicago Loves New York banners, and that's one thing that I'll I'll never forget. It felt a lot like an act of, of defiance uh, going to the game that night, and it, and it didn't feel safe by any means. Everyone was kind of taking a shot around the country, you know, going back and resuming life. Some would say, you know, if that happened today, I don't know if they would be so quick to, to bounce back, but everyone was trying to do the best uh, in, in that moment. So you feel like a, a week goes by, and it's still looking back. It doesn't seem like that was a, enough time for everyone to sort of reflect, especially after what we've gone through the past calendar year with things shutting mm-hmm. down and safety issues and things like that. But, um, you know, just uh, I remember not feeling incredibly safe, feeling very uneasy, but feeling very much um, in unison and very much in harmony with everyone else that was there because, you know, it was just such an impactful thing to be a part of, especially with the Yankees in town. And, and, we, and we realize that sports doesn't mean anything. You know, that's why it's so meaningful to, to botch Barry Rosner's great quote um, about sports. But 
I just remember that night with 25,000 plus there uh, at the uh, at Comiskey Park, the new Comiskey Park, that was what it was called then. And, you know, the the national anthem was one of the best renditions I'd ever heard. Um, and, you know, that this happened a lot with people stepping up in the moment for their country and just providing these little notes of patriotism here or there. And Phyllis Arnold was the name of the woman that did the, the national anthem that night. And just after that, the place was just, uh, you know, a, an emotional you know, uh, just roller coaster. You know, you know, I wouldn't even say roller coaster because it was just, it was, it was unlike anything I've experienced still to this day, and I'm still trying to find the words to to describe it 20 years later. But I never have heard a, a gathering of 25,000 plus of people so quiet and so somber and so much uh, in pain and uncertainty all at once. And that, that's something that's very hard to do in a sporting event with 25,000 people to get everyone on board and everyone basically, you know, uh, breathing the same breaths and having the same heartbeats all as one. And it just, uh, it was, uh, you can go back and watch the video on YouTube. The White Sox have it up there. MLB has it up there. So you can watch like the pregame uh, ceremonies there and still get kind of emotional going back and watching it. But I, I would love to say that, you know, many people have made this point this weekend that, you know, we were so united uh, as a country, you know, uh, that, you know, there was a lot of anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant segment, this, you know, sentiment coming in after that. So let's not forget that part of it, too. It wasn't unified for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. But by and large, I think everyone that I knew anyway, it was was we were all pulling from the same rope and everyone was feeling the same things and fears and anxieties and everyone just helping out each other. And I, if you watch the Spike Lee documentary, the NYC Epicenters doc, and they talk about the 9-11 uh, stuff in there, and, and they talk about COVID and everything, and I think the final episode is airing tonight, but if you go back and watch that, you kind of see what, what we're talking about here and, and see how everyone was united uh, just under country and not be where they came from or where they're going or, or who they are or who they identify with. It was just about getting each other through those moments of, of fear, and I, I wish I could say we're in a better place 20 years later, but I'm not so sure, but that doesn't mean that it, uh, it can't change. Uh, so that, that's really what I wanted to say, and I know I'm not the first person to make that point, but I've consumed a lot of this content over the past week leading up to this anniversary of 9-11, and it just uh, I, I wish uh, people could remember what it was like living in those times, because a lot of these people now that, that are you know very selfish and self-absorbed, they lived through those times. They ought to remember what it was like, so maybe they should watch some of the, these videos and read some of these stories, all the great journalism that's come out uh, in the past 20 years about this day. But uh, yeah, man, just wanted to put that out there, and uh, any other thoughts you have uh, about this uh, anniversary, if any, and if not, that's okay too, but uh, we'll, if, if not, we'll, we'll take a time out and uh, talk about this uh, Sox eventful weekend. No, just uh, it's a somber time, and I'm glad that we have come on the other side of this 20 years later. And like you said, you would think that we'd be together, but yeah, whatever. It's it's not where we are. Yeah. It's not the light, the world we live in. Even a, a thing like that where you think people will come together, and then another episode that we've had with the uh, COVID, you would think that lessons would be learned about uh, unity unity <laughs> but no it's not it's not coming together well, you know, that's life but it is life. that's life that's what people say you know it's not even just an american ideology either that's around the world everyone is, is, is much more selfish these days and self-absorbed and doesn't care much about their fellow man it's not strictly an, an, an american ideology uh it's i think it's it's a a byproduct of the social media era that we live in you know and and validation and 
you know, and it's all rooted in security. But, you know, you post on social media hoping to get a response because you want some response. You want some connection, but then you kind of get stuck down those wormholes and, you know, you, it, negativity, it spirals. So I think that's more symptomatic than anything. It's not an American problem. I think it's a human problem. And hopefully uh, it gets better uh, in the next uh, coming years or so. Once we realize that we don't necessarily need those phones in our hand at 24-7, look up and look around you and talk to your fellow man on occasion, not through a phone or through social media. All right, we'll take a quick time out here and we'll talk about the very eventful White Sox weekend. The White Sox take two out of three from Boston. That's next here on Locked on White Sox. This episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at DirecTV. Welcome aboard, DirecTV. Does this sound familiar to you guys out there? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for all the good stuff, right? Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally Get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Direct TV, get your TV together compatible device required content varies by package betting on the socks doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new locked on bets podcast hosted by your boy q and handicapping expert lee sterling get daily picks blowout specials wrong team favorite picks and lee sterling's lock of the day follow the locked on bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. The White Sox take two out of three from boston this was a big series for both teams really the Sox looking to get uh, some you know battle tested heading into the postseason. They start to get some of their guys back. Rodon comes back. Lynn comes back. And on the other side of the field, Boston is is clinging for dear life on that wild card spot. And they needed absolutely needed all three of these games. And they were only to come away with one. And really, uh, this final one here on Sunday it was just devastating fashion. If you're a Red Sox fan, but we'll get to that in a second here. But we let's start. Let's go in chronological order here. Friday night's game. White Sox and Red Sox. The White Sox end up victorious by a score of four to three. Uh, the first of three really tight ball games here. And uh, Carlos Rodon came back from the IL that day, and he got a lot of help coming in after him, which we'll talk about in a second. But Rodon goes five innings, three hits, one run. It was earned. Seven strikeouts for Carlos. Season ERA to two thirty eight. But man, it was uh, it was it was a big series win for the White Sox, and uh, Carlos Rodon was a huge part of that. What do you think of Carlos on Friday? Thought he was the the guy that had gone um, in early like July, like the guy that was dominating, but also they were trying to keep his pitch pitch count down. So dominating a Red Sox lineup that you know didn't have JD Martinez, thank Jesus, (laughs) but it's still a good deadly lineup out there. And going out there only giving up one earned run and striking out seven while walking none. Mercy, I'll take that. You know, it was just that home run by Dahlbeck, but I'll take that every time he goes out. I mean, I would like a little bit more length, but like I said, they were just holding him back because of pitching. Uh, and he really didn't have that many pitches, but he was the first time he has pitched in a while with 86 pitches on that 
outing. So, yeah, I thought that was very encouraging to see what he did on Friday night. Yeah, and I did too. Just to see him out there and to see him working with some velocity, I thought it was good to see. And it's frankly, it's all I need to see here uh, going forward. Uh, you'd like to see him go deeper in games, which Carlos talked about in a second. But here's Tony talking about what he saw from Rodon on Friday. Yeah, he no, he, he had good stuff. And he felt good. I mean, you know, he got up to that point where both Ethan and I thought after the fourth, you know, he, he had to work a little harder than we wanted him to to get out of that one. Uh, and uh, I think he earned a chance to win it. You know, then he got the one one run, but uh, he finished the inning. And he's shown that he's he's got that closing ability uh, to get the last out of an inning and not have to turn it over to the bullpen. But five innings, that was a, we stretched him today and. I'm sure we'll give him enough rest for the next one. And uh, Carlos spoke about it after the game as well, how we wish he could have gone a little bit longer in that one. The third inning, I had to, to reach back for a few. Um, got the strikeouts that we needed. Um, fourth was good, tried to get some quick outs. But, I mean, they put together, I, I think, three or four at-bats over eight to ten pitches that worked my pitch count up. So they did a pretty good job with that. Um, but – I'm happy they let me go out for the fifth. I'd like to go six or seven, but I'm sure that's coming. I'm sure that is coming. And the Red Sox team, Herb, like, you know, they've had many different versions of the of the Red Sox team over the past, you know, 20 years since they started winning World Series. And they were always known for deep, lengthy at-bats, being relentless uh, to the opposing pitcher. And even in today's modern game, with, with velocity and first pitch fastball and just jump on the first fastball you see, they're still a, a team who will, man, they're they're going to work the hell out of you, man. They're going to grind some head-bats out. They're going to draw their walks. And they're still a, a really tough team, but I thought that was encouraging for uh, for Carlos to go out there and do what he did against them. And he's able to get some some help in, in the remainder of that ball game. Uh, Kopech comes in for two-thirds of an inning, gives up the hit, uh, two strikeouts. Bummer comes in, gets the hold, and then my guy comes in after that. Tempura. Crochet comes in, and then Kimbrell and Hendricks come in for the the eighth and ninth there, and uh, and there it is. And the White Sox are victorious on Friday night by a score of, of four to three. And we're going to talk about Kopech here in a second. But and do you uh, think these long ass games are just because of Boston's grinding out of uh, at bats and such? Because man, that first game was like almost four hours in the second wing yeah was man 100 four hours of today <laughs> or on sunday's game it was you know short because there's only what three runs scored total but still uh the one today i have to go back and check the box score on, on the, the official length but still like for for a game that ended up two to one it was still well over three hours i believe so yeah i mean i i think that's part of it you know um they've got a lot of guys in that bullpen too who can strike you out as do the white Sox, and the white Sox got pretty much everyone in from this bullpen this weekend because the other this red Sox offense is so relentless they had to throw a lot of they had to throw the kitchen sink at this boston lineup in order to get outs and you, you had so many guys that were unavailable on sunday's game because of all the bullpen usage so that is that is part of it too why these games are so long all these guys coming in out of the bullpen but i think too you know these these red Sox hitters they take some long at bats and I, that's what i love to see as a baseball fan to be honest with you like I think that will never go out of style you know sometimes yeah there can be value in jumping on the first pitch you see but when you can grind out 
uh, a starting pitcher and, and make them get into that bullpen, which is what they did. And then, it, especially on a game one, that changes the whole complexion of the rest of the series when you get into a team's bullpen early on in that first game. But I, I thought that was uh, very enjoyable to see Carlos Rodon out there doing his thing, and I, and I think he's he's playoff ready. He'll 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 bounce back, and you know, hopefully, he'll go a little bit longer in the next start. You know, it doesn't really matter at this point. You're just trying to keep him healthy. Uh, if possible here. So uh, we jumped to Saturday's game. Well, wait, hang on a second. Let, let's talk about the offense here on Friday, make sure there's nothing here uh, that, that I'm missing. So you had the offensive performances here from the White Sox. Jose Abreu with a huge three-run shot there uh, in the third inning in that one. Just, you know, just flicks it over the left field wall. Like when I picture the statue, you know, when people say build a statue of Jose Abreu, that shot of him and the follow through, like going down and getting the ball. And that's the picture I see on Jose Abreu's statue. But uh, what are we now? August 40 something here for, for Pito? What are we working with here? We got to keep it going because. Uh, 43rd now <laughs> well, on Sunday. So it's the 44th if you're listening to this on Monday. All August right. 44th. Good job by you keeping up. But uh, that, was a, that was a huge three run shot there from Jose Abreu, who. Uh, who they need to keep going here uh, as you know Eloy struggling a little bit but Pito coming through with a big bomb in that one yeah it was look, looked really nice it was a oh I think it was a oh two count or two strike count with two outs a hundred percent I know that and Jose just went down and got it I didn't know if it was gonna clear the wall but very happy to see that Jose is just out there doing good ass work and <laughs> we need him we a hundred percent need him I the only thing I would put and it's not even hose. I would put Grandal in front of him. Like Grandal is still doing good things with the bat, getting on base all the time. Why not have him in front of him? Because you see Grandal, he's batting like fifth, and it comes up next. And I know Lurie hit the home run today. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to mention. You don't want to yeah. have Lurie Garcia <laughs> as this protection, and if you believe in that or not, doesn't matter. You you want a guy that is hitting and getting on base as much as Grandal is right now to be at the top of the lineup, to take advantage of that stuff. He's not hitting well because he's batting fifth. He's hitting well because he's doing a great job of zoning these guys in and then not missing his pitch when he does get it. I, he almost hit two home runs on Saturday. He hit a kid that was looking at the bullpen, <laughs> and that was hilarious. Unless it's your kid, oh, yeah. and I'm sorry, because um, your kid's dead now. Yeah, but about Grandal, and, and I don't want to jump ahead too far to Sunday, but that was one of the worst at-bats in the in the ninth inning that you'll mm-hmm. ever see from Yasmani Grandal, and I do think maybe that was part of it. Like He thought that he felt... That he it was up to him to win that one. So and of course baseball is dumb and Leary hits the walk off, which we'll get to in a second here. Um, but you know they they go Kimbrel eight and nine on Friday, and yes it all it all relates to Sunday. But you know Kimbrel and, and Hendricks there finishing off that game Friday looked looked pretty clean. You know they they were able to throw up some goose eggs against the Red Sox, and you felt pretty good uh, about those two guys at the back end of your bullpen there uh, coming through in a, in a big spot. Kimbrell comes in in that eighth inning, and he gets uh, Renfro out on strikes, and he walks Bogarts, gets the pop out to Devers, and then uh, strikes out Bobby Dahlbeck. Uh, just you know, pure filth from Kimbrell, and of course Hendricks comes on and, and closes the game out. So uh, good job by the bullpen on Friday night's game, but then I think it affected uh, Sunday a little bit here, which we'll, which we'll get to. But as we pivot to Saturday's game uh white Sox and red Sox. this was really a wild one for anyone that was out at the ballpark anyone who watched this one Sox lose this one nine to eight in ten and this one was just all over the place and we, we begin where we always begin with dylan cease the man on the mound on saturday he, he pitches two and two-thirds innings 
four hits, seven runs. They were all earned. Five walks came back to haunt him in a, in a big-time way. Uh, five strikeouts there. We've seen it in the past, Herb, from Dylan Cease, where he loses it in the middle of the game. We saw it in that mm-hmm. Cubs series. And he's able to find it and recoup, but oh boy, did he not find it. <laughs> after yeah. after Leary hits the two-run shot, big weekend for Leary legend. Uh, he puts up, uh, you know, uh, Dylan gives the, the Bo Sox a seven spot there in the third, which I did not think the Sox would be able to overcome. But uh, that that was uh, not good Dylan Cease. Do you chalk this one up as, oh, just throw it away? Or uh, any concerns here as we head towards the postseason with old Dylon? Um, hmm. I think it's just a blip. Hopefully, just a blip. This is old Dylan Cease. What we used to see, yes. like one thing snowballs into another, snowballs into another, and snowballs into another, and he would never get out of it. Back in his uh, early days, I think 2019, sometime last year too. So I would think that turn back the clock blip. night for Dylan Cease. It was, it was turn back yeah. the clock for Dylan Cease. Like go back to the late 2018. Yeah, yeah. So I just think this is a blip. I wasn't expecting that because the first two innings, Cruising. filthy, yep. filthy, striking out five or six. I was like, all right, here we go. Dylan Cease is on one tonight. After the, after the Red Sox, he's <laughs> and, the 97 yeah. up top and the Yankees, too. <laughs> yeah, always. But, yeah, yeah, but I was I was encouraged. And, of course, I got a hater in the house, you know, and whenever and Dylan Cease had a pretty good year. And whenever he throws a bad year, she's like on Lori, Gar- Lori Garcia. <laughs> no, sorry. I'm the Lori hater. She's the Dylan Cease hater. And oh, so, it's a bad weekend for the two of you. Uh, or, no, a great, or a great weekend, yeah. Yeah, and so <laughs> when he went out in the third inning, he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's Dylan Cease. I'm like, stop it. You've been seeing him all year long. He's been dominating. He's been doing well for himself this year, and this is the blip. And same thing with Lurie. This is the blip. <laughs> the home run is the blip. The rest of it is, you know, he's good. He's a good serviceable backup. People going a little too far with the Larry legend. Calm down. We'll come back after a quick timeout and preview tomorrow's part two of the weekend recap next year on Locked on White Sox. Locked on White Sox is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. Don't you love freedom of choice? That's what we love about this country, right? Well, it's no different at BuiltBar.com. They have so many different delicious flavors for you to try. There's something for everyone. Every Built Bar fan that I know, they've got their different favorite flavors. I have mine. Herb has his. Mine, of course, German chocolate. Thankfully, I still have a surplus here from the last time I ordered them. I'm down about 25 pounds now. Thanks to our friends at Built Bar. I've been replacing a lot of those bad sugary snacks with Built Bars, and it's made all the difference. There's so many flavors to choose from. Coconut, Cherry Barcia, Raspberry, Mint Brownie, Double Chocolate, Salted Caramel, Strawberry, Orange, Cookies and Cream, and of course, German Chocolate. So if you haven't tried all these great flavors, great way to get introduced to something new is mix it in. Get a mixed box of Built Bars. That way you can try something new along with the flavors that you already love. So when you get the mixed box, you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. And best of all, they're not only delicious, they're also healthy. 17 to 18 grams of protein in each bar, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only 4 to 5 grams of sugar, and just 4 to 5 grams of net carbs per Built Bar. All delicious, all good for you. Order today, Built Bar, the official protein bar of U.S. track and field. Go to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCK15, and that's going to get you 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. All right, as we mentioned, this is going to be a two-part episode. So in tomorrow's episode, we're going to start off talking about Michael Kopech's big weekend and what the big difference has been with him in his most recent outings. Seemed to have found something there in that second outing against his former team. He was dominant. We'll get to hear him in his own words. We'll talk about 
Craig Kimbrell. We'll get into the Craig Kimbrell issues here a little bit and uh, some other things too as well as we break down the remainder of this three-game set here with the Red Sox. There's a lot of big-picture things still on the board for us to discuss, so thank you guys for staying with us here, and we have to wait till tomorrow for when episode two of our two-part recap of the weekend drops. That's tomorrow here on Locked on White Sox. For my partner, Herb Lawrence, I'm Chris Tannehill. Thank you for listening to Locked on White Sox.